Hey, this is Chad with I Want to Know, and today we want to know about local ranching. We're here with our friend Wayne Hansen, husband, father of three, grandfather of two, and runs uh, Your Local Ranch, which is uh, a home-run uh, ranching business. How's it going, Wayne? That's good. How about you? I am doing excellent. I've got uh, half a mojito into me now. Um, not a mojito, a mojito. Um, they taste fantastic, and uh, you got a beer started there. So. That's right. Cool, cool. So we want to learn as much as we can about uh, ranching in Alberta, and from what I understand with your ranch, it's a little bit better beef than what you would get at a grocery store. So maybe you can go over some of your processes. All right. So um, what we've done uh, is we're, we're following our, our son's um, thesis, honors thesis that he wrote down in California, and uh, virtually we're trying to take the middleman out, so we're direct marketing. Um, we're trying to uh, be as vertically integrated as we can get, and so in small steps, we're doing that. Cool. Um, the history that we have, this is all I've done my whole life. It's I'm ranching. Ranching, and, and uh, when we started, when I started ranching, it was in the purebred industry, which means that we sold seed stock to, uh, like, we bulls to breed to commercial cows yep. down in uh, the States and Southern Alberta and British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, basically all over Canada. But the seed stock also went anywhere that we could ship in the world. So if we had a trade there or we could qualify with the health, we could ship there. And and uh, I'm not sure how many countries, but if we could get there, we're, we're there in Europe. UK, Australia, New Zealand, um, South America. Wow. So that's that's where I started. That's what... So to back you up a little bit, maybe define what seed stock is for those who don't know. So seed stock is pedigreed cattle. Okay. So um, we would go out and search out uh, the best quality cattle that we could find anywhere in the world, usually in North America. Yeah. And we would use those, those cattle to better uh, the breed for... What makes good cattle? Um... They got to be really good phenotypically, so they got to look the part. They got to be long and strong and good feet, sound feet, good legs. Um, and as as it progressed along, when uh, I was probably about um, fifteen years old, they started using um, genetic uh, markers to to get these cattle, so you could actually determine from their heritage, how good they were going to be in certain fields. Wow. So you would try, the dairy dairy industry is way ahead of what the beef industry is. Yeah. But ours is coming along very quickly. So we can do everything from, <laughs> everything from calving ease. Yeah. To uh, how how much milk the cow would have, how fast the calf would grow. So what's calving ease? Uh, so um, the shape of the calf, and will determine on how the how easy it will come out. So okay. if you have to assist it, uh, then it docks your grades down. If they're okay, if even if they're big and they come out on their own and easy, then then the mark will go up. Okay. So that to how fast they grow, and now they're getting into what I'm interested in now is the marbling and the yield and how efficient they are on feed. Yeah. All that stuff is is coming into play now. So it's just a growing database. Um, I remember hearing this, um, you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like certain parts of the world want that want a cow to look a certain way. So I heard I, it was either Japan or China that it had to be like a black and white cow and it had to be fed a certain, you know, a certain way and all that to get the, the meat that they wanted for their food line. 
Well, they it's not so much the color as the breed. Okay. So you can get you can get cattle that um, will lay on internal fat more, and that's what they were looking for Wagyu cattle. Yeah. Or to make their Kobe beef, and and so those cattle they're generally quite a bit older than what what ours would be when when they go to slaughter. Yeah. But they'll have probably twice as much fat in, uh, and so like the Japanese traditionally will eat three or four ounces because it's so rich. Yeah. Where we would eat six or eight ounces because it's it's, it's more meat than it's more fat. More meat than fat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the fat definitely fills you up faster or makes you feel fuller, anyways. Yeah. And it's so rich that you can only handle <laughs> so much of it, right? I don't know. I can eat a lot of fatty <laughs> beef. <laughs> the kids all get grossed out. I get the ribs. I eat every bit of them. The uh, I just actually uh, last night cooked up boneless ribs from your ranch, and uh, I just cut it up and eat up full fat, the whole thing on yeah. them. They're they're pretty fantastic. Yeah, that boneless rib. That's a prime rib cap. So we take the prime rib off, and yeah, and actually right now, just for fun, we we uh, started leaving them whole, and I just call them a barbecue cap. Okay. So you can smoke them, and they kind of come out like a brisket. But they're, oh. just, they're only about uh, an inch thick. Yeah, yeah. The ones I had were a little bit thicker than that, and uh, I cooked them in the oven on like 450, which I think was too high and too short of a time. I needed to cook them a little bit longer, but yeah. uh, just recently, my wife has taken on more of a full-time job at work, and so I'm taking on more cooking than I used to do, so I'm like <laughs> challenging myself to to uh, make this stuff better. She's a phenomenal yeah. cook, so trying to keep up with her was uh, a challenge to say the least, yeah. but uh, having good meat is uh, makes it a little bit easier. So before you, or right when we got here, I was talking to you a little bit about a documentary I had watched uh, called Cowspiracy. And unfortunately, I didn't get through the whole thing because it seemed a little bit hokey. Um, and I know you're pretty open with your ranch. So it was talking a lot about how uh, the cattle industry, the um, uh, pork industry, and all these farms growing, ranches growing big mammals are polluting the, the planet too, more so than cars or factories or anything like that. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about uh, um, how you run your ranch and and uh, how you guys are maybe more efficient than some of those um, larger ranches or the, um, what's the name for them? The, uh, like the factory ranches, the, the ones that supply the Walmarts and stuff. Yeah, I think... You know, they, um, when somebody has an agenda, they can pigeonhole things. For sure. <laughs> and uh, I think that they can, can grab some information and uh, use a small bit of information to take a broad paintbrush over the whole industry. Yeah. And uh, I think that, you know, it, it depends on, on uh, how you feed, um, how concentrated you are on your on your spaces and everything, which... You know, some of it's really good and some of it's not so good. Uh, for efficiencies, it's probably better to, to be a little more concentrated as far as, as your your end result of your dollar. Yeah. Um, we are kind of the other way around. And what we're doing is um, we kind of give them more space, yeah. less feed. We might feed them like our finishing cattle a little bit longer. Um, I, I know that a lot of people don't like uh, added hormones and we don't any added hormones in but what a lot of people got to understand about that is that there's really nothing wrong with it mm-hmm. we we don't put it in because we think we have good enough cattle that they really don't need them yeah. we could be more efficient with them yeah but i know most people don't want to have that in there so that's we're just trying to produce a product that that won't um that appeals to more people yeah yeah absolutely so uh the difference is that 
most all of our cattle are actually out on pasture yeah. until the until we bring them in to finish them and we only have uh probably about 10 percent of our animals in to finish at a time okay and the rest of ours run on grass um this year there's going to be some some combining done so i have the guy that does the combining drop bunches so they'll graze the bunches off um and then it they stay right on the field and and the manure goes back on the field they put it back on i don't have to haul it back on <laughs> and and everything i do if i can cut a step down that costs me labor and machinery cost i do it yeah so uh that's the difference and i know that that a lot of these feedlots um have a lot of manure to get rid of but what most of them do is they grow a crop that takes a lot of fertilizer. Okay. So if they have to put a lot on the field, they'll grow something like a corn or a maize or, or something like that yeah. to utilize it all. Uh, if they didn't have it, they'd be dumping fertilizer on. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a 50-50 thing, you know. So I, I think that, I, I don't think that there's enough money in our industry that we can waste any. Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing something that's inefficient, you're going to be wasting it. So yeah, so that's that's kind of where we're at. That's a little difference between um, the factory farming, or maybe it's not even factory farming. Maybe it's American uh, cattle compared to Canadian cattle. So I believe that a lot of the American cattle is corn-fed cattle. We're up here. Ours is grass-fed and then grain finished. Is that correct? Um, everybody has different. We have we have huge feedlots up here. Yeah, and and the reason that that we don't have corn finished cattle up here is because the corn's too far away to get it here. Mm-hmm. The corn and the barley uh, for energy is is very similar. So I know that that barley's quite high right now, according to the cattle guys, not according <laughs> to the grain guys. But uh, so there's a little bit of corn coming up, yeah. and as you see the corn coming up, then the corn price is just a little bit higher in Canada than in the states, and the barley price will come down to match it. So okay. So that's, you know, uh, the color of the fat is a little bit different. The American cattle will have a little yellower fat because of the, because of that. And the uh, taste corn. is a bit different too. Yeah, a little bit different. Yeah. I know down in yeah. the States, uh, so I've got a buddy, um, his dad owned a ranch in Brooks and, and raised cattle out there. And he did his uh, university, at, well, in California where your, your son did. And that's where you said he did it, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was eating American beef and didn't like it nearly as much as his dad. So his dad loaded up a freezer, drove it down to California for him. And of course, he throws a big barbecue for, for everyone down in his dorm or, you know, his roommates or whatever. And they're all going out grabbing their barbecue sauce. And to me, like putting barbecue sauce on Canadian beef is, it's absurd. Like there's so much flavor and it's so good uh, meat on its own. You get a, a sirloin or a good ribeye, a little salt and pepper and you're, you're done. Like you need nothing else. But it seems like the American meat, um, they, they really thrive on having those sauces to, to make them better. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, our, our uh, big plants up here are American plants. Okay. Or South American plants. So, yeah. so really, it's all treated the same. It's just raised a little different. Okay. So that's and, and and meat comes back and forth across the line all the time. So it's unless you know what you're looking for at the Costco or wherever, you don't know if you're getting American or Australian oh, really? or Canadian or yeah. So you kind of got to watch. 
So they, you, you could be easily buying American corn-fed beef from yeah. uh, and not know the difference. Yeah. It must be just like a lower grade or something that they're having down there. Instead of buying ribeyes, they're getting uh, uh, rounds or something like that and, and doing those up with sauce. Yeah, I don't know. Just I, I think that uh, I think down there they they just enjoy their their barbecue sweet barbecue sauce, sauce yeah, yeah flavors. I <laughs> think that's what it is. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, and that's you know you back to the to the factory farm and the complaints that some people have on it. Uh, most of the big ranches in in Alberta and NBC, but all the big ranches, Saskatchewan. Those guys run their cattle on his grass as long as possible. It's free food, right? It's free food. It doesn't cost you near as much as if you lock them up. So, yeah. So everybody tries to do their part to be responsible. Yeah. And and if you're doing it the cheapest way, you're generally doing it the right way. Yeah, yeah. And I believe that most ranchers are the custodians of the land. I mean, it's got to give back to you. So if you're not good to it, it's not going to give back to you. If you poison the land, uh, you're you're wrecking your crops. You're reducing your yield, that's and it's right. the same whether it's cattle, pigs, yep. um, anything. Yep, that's yeah, that's right. And we, what we do is, we used to run a lot more cattle than what we do now, and we just kind of took a step back and we thought, Gee, can I raise these any cheaper and have better quality? Mm-hmm. And so we kind of cut our numbers in half. So instead of bringing machinery in and, and putting a green feed crop in and cutting it down, swathing it, letting it eat that, we just kind of bank the grass all, all summer. We yeah. have a place that they go, and they've got lots of grass for the summer, and as the winter gets tougher, we bring them closer to home. Okay. And and so we just bank this grass, and it's, it gets knee-high, waist-high right now. And, Beautiful. And, yeah, it's full of deer, and, and I don't know if, you know, I hear some hunters don't like cattle, but there's there's a ton of deer out where our cows are supposed to be eating in january <laughs> yeah 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 so it's obviously good feed if they yeah. have the cattle or the deer are eating it yeah 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 so i'd like to know more about uh, uh your son's thesis and and how you're applying that to the to the farming to the cat or to the ranching yeah so um he just he got a degree in in uh in business and german and a minor in math and uh his professor asked him if he would like he take he take one of the top students in the final year and let them live with him and then he would tote that student all over the place and create a great networking forum and so my son was lucky enough to be the student that the professor oh, wow. asked to come stay yeah. at his house he was a bit of a glorified uh cat babysitter at some points but <laughs> but he did get to go with the professor to luncheons and and dinners and stuff where he would meet all the right people and so his professor told him that he thought he should write an honors thesis and he said well i'm not getting my master's he said no he said but you should write one yeah and so he wrote it and uh, the wife and i were lucky enough to go and and see them grant him the the publication of it nice. the day after his graduation so his thesis, he, he started out, and, and keep in mind, this is a business school. So yeah. he started out trying to vertically integrate a farm and ranch together. Because in a perfect world, if you had control of all of those uh, and could vertically integrate the whole thing, yeah. that would be perfect. Yeah. But the professors couldn't wrap their head around all the dynamics of trying to vertically integrate all those pieces. So yeah. he cut it back to just the cattle ranch which is fine by me because 
I'd much prefer cattle than machinery anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so what he did is he, is he proved that if you could completely control the vertical integration of it, that your revenue on a bad year or a great year would always be the same. Hmm. And so what we have started to do, and we started about a year and a half ago, is to try to control as much of that as we can. So they're born at home, they're fed at home, um, we take them away to an uh, abattoir, and then the butcher shop that we have pick them up. Sorry, what's an abattoir? Abattoir is where they where they uh, hang them and get them inspected. Okay. So they'll they'll um, put them in halves, yeah. and then they cool them, and and they get inspected by a provincial inspection. Yeah. And then then the uh, butcher shop picks them up for us, and then the wife and I go down there, and we help the two butchers butcher the. The animal. So I'm kind of the quality control guy, and my wife's the wrapper, and yeah. and so we, every Wednesday we go down there and we and we do that, bring it home, we inventory it all, and put it into our into our storage and into our meat shop. How uh, how many cattle do you do in a day? So you guys go once a week on a Wednesday. How many can you get done? Um, we try to only do one, and we leave it about seven thirty in the morning, and we can be home by about noon. If okay. we do two, we'll be home at about two. Yeah. And I prefer one if I can. Um, it gives us time to make our meat deliveries that afternoon and yeah. and get everything in place properly. And Awesome. We're getting a lot more efficient. First <laughs> first couple <laughs> times we did two, we'd leave at 7.30 in the morning and we wouldn't get done till midnight. Oh, wow. And yeah. now we can be done by... Two, three in the afternoon. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> anything you do repetitive, you we're just learning. get better. We're yeah, learning. yeah. So, so uh, with this vertical integration, this is basically you just trying to control every aspect and not farming out. Excuse the pun. Anything to anyone else. So you guys exactly. are you're you're controlling absolutely everything that happened with those cattle. We're trying. We need a uh, to complete it right now. We probably need a butcher shop, and we need a place that that we can um, have an abattoir on site so that we can control the whole thing. Because that's finding a place that you really like, the way they treat your cattle yeah. and, and how clean they are when you are when you're get them in the butcher shop, that's that's really important. And, yeah. and so uh, we, we track these cattle right from the first breath they take to the last breath they take and then yeah. into our freezer. So every label has their number on it. Yeah. And I want to make sure that Everything we do is perfect on them. Yeah. So, my wife's a holistic nutritionist. I think you met her uh, yeah. at Farm Days at your place yeah. a couple of weeks ago or last weekend, maybe. Yeah. Um, and she talks a lot about being a bigger part of, of your food, like knowing your farmer, maybe knowing the cow. You know, hunters are very good at this where, you know, they're, they're in deep. They, they, they kill the animal. They uh, usually will um, cut it up, take it to a butcher, and maybe even butcher it themselves. And so everything about it is, is theirs. There's a, a connection to that animal. Um, so she believes wholeheartedly that everyone should be doing that. They should be coming out and meeting their, their rancher and Absolutely. seeing the food and, um, seeing how they get from your place to the, um, the butcher shop or, um, I don't, I want to call it a kill shop, but that's not, it's the avatar, yeah. the avatar. Yeah. And, uh, um, that it's important to, to, to have that connection with food, even cooking yourself. And so we're now so disconnected with our food that 
you know, there, there's no relationship at all other than the, you know, the Dorito effect. How good does it taste on the tongue? And then the, the, the part of being connected to your food is also how is your food dying? So is it stressed out? Is it hungry? Is, you know, what is going on with that, that uh, animal right before it dies? Because all those adrenaline hormones and stuff like that can get inside. And, and hunters talk about this at length too, getting a, a good shot off to make sure that animal dies instantly. There's no fear. There's no running. There's no adrenaline. Just pop down they go and it's yeah. and it's over and so um i know you guys work hard at making sure your cattle are are in a stress-free environment yeah it's that's something we work hard on not on every one of ours so it's it's important that your cattle are quiet and if you don't treat them right they won't be quiet so okay. so you got to treat them with a lot of respect and you don't push them, you don't hammer them, you don't holler at them. Everything's quiet, and yeah. and it's nice and quiet and and handled that way. Um, one of the one of the biggest things that'll ruin your meat is if they cut dark, which, which just like you said, they get excited, and then then the meat instead of that that really nice uh, red color, they turn kind of a dark, dark, dark cherry red, and it's gummy, like like a deer would be. Okay. And so, <clears throat> we don't want that. Yeah. Because it just ruins it. It's there's there's nothing wrong with the meat other than the color and the texture is not the same. Yeah. So that that would cost us a fortune if we got three or four of those a year. Yeah. So it's it's important to us that when they leave home, I I weigh them. I record their number, uh, the government number on their ear. I record their other number, and the other number is the basically tag you yeah, give them. The one that that relates them to their mom. Yeah. And so we record that, and then we turn them back out, give them their hay, and then late that night we'll load them up and put them in the trailer and take them down, and then the next morning is is when they get get uh, hung. So yeah. so that's uh, that's what we do, and it's as stress free as possible. Yeah, yeah, and they're if they're wild, it doesn't work. Okay, but if they're quiet, boy, it's it's just. They just walk slow. And Do you get a larger yield out of an animal for less feed if they're not stressed out? Yeah, they will perform a lot better. Yeah. Uh, before we got back into the cow thing, I ran some yearlings for some feedlots and neighbors and, and that. And, and so really what I did is I sold them my grass, but I managed the cattle for them. Yeah. And I charged them the just so much per 100 pounds of, of cattle that brought me because... Basically, that's pretty accurate of what they will eat. Okay. So, you know, if they're five weights or six weights or seven weights or eight weights, and when they come in, they just get charged more because they're going to consume more. Yeah. And if you can get a really, really quiet set of decent quality cattle, they'll do a pound and a half or two pounds a day on grass. Okay. If you get a wild one or a wild set, yeah. they're lucky to do a half pound. So it costs the guy the same to run them at my place, but yeah. if he... And the reason that I always charge per weight is because you can bring me what you want, but if you bring me good ones, you're going to make a lot more money. Yeah. So, so less stressed. So the less stressed out they are, the, the faster they gain weight. Yeah. So you're saying uh, cattle gain, uh, a healthy, relaxed cattle will gain a pound and a half a day, and a stressed out wild one is only going to gain half a pound a day for the same amount of food. That's right. It just gets burnt off in energy. Yeah. It's like yeah. a, a wound up kid that just you feed them all day and they just don't slow yeah. down. That's right. So it it's worth every minute that you spend with them. Yeah. It pays you back 
huge just because they will do better. I, I've got this picture in my head of like, um, you know, blaring uh, some nice, calm, relaxing music over the field. And all the cows are just sauntering around. Like, it sounds like you really put the effort in to make sure like it's it's a zero stress environment. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we do to to help that is the the calves, when we bring them off the mums, we pail feed everything. So we carry we carry pails out that five gallon or 20 liter pails full of grain and we actually walk through the calves and feed them their grain and pretty soon they're kind of running into you and knocking you over to to get to the grain we don't feed them a lot but we feed them enough that that they think it's a real treat when we come out there yeah and then they get quite quiet okay the other thing that we do is we we move our cattle with horses and and dogs and and all you generally hear is a little whistle here and there to get your dog to move back and forth yeah that's about it. There's no hollering. There's no revving of the engines. No quads. It's, no trucks. No. Yeah. And it's it's pretty pretty relaxed and pretty quiet. Wow. And slow is fast with cattle. Yeah. That that's massive. Like you, I was just thinking about the the amount of gain, like half a pound to a pound and a half. So uh, three times as much on a nice relaxed cattle. Why are yeah. the uh, factory farmers not uh, understanding this or not realizing it? Oh, lots of them do. Okay. Um, Dad and I actually went to a cattle handling course. Uh, the the man has passed away since, but he was just absolutely brilliant. And his name was Bud Williams. Okay. And so we went up there, and, and the first day we were kind of disappointed. We said, well, he's doing what we're doing. Yeah. So why'd we come here? <laughs> but after the third day, we learned why we did what we did. Oh, okay. So that was the really, it's really cool much better part. when you understand it, yeah. Yeah. So we had done the, we did just about everything that he did the same way. Yeah. But when we realize what we did and why we did it, then you're more conscious of it, and and it just you understand why snowballs. it works, so you're going to keep doing yeah. it. I um uh, I did martial arts for years, and and just uh, learned from lots of different people, and and I was pretty good. Um, and then I decided to uh, start teaching. But that was when I really understood. And when you can explain to somebody why you do something, then yours just gets so much crisper and neater as you're doing it. So it's under the same, yeah, uh, exactly. same means. So uh, um, there is a, a documentary about this lady. I'm trying to remember what her name is now. She had, um, I want to say like autism or something like that. And she she could see the way the cattle would see, and so she would help redesign these um, Shoot feed systems. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that the cattle could get through with uh, very little stress. Temple Grandin. That's it. That's yeah. it. That was an amazing documentary to see. Yeah. One about her learning disability and how she could still, you know, work for big corporations and be very valuable. So we go back to to this Bud Williams and and Temple Grandin. Yeah. These these feedlots, like the big corporate ones, everybody calls them. Yeah. They actually hire these guys, and they hire them and they hire them to teach their staff and they and they hire them to design, and they really, I mean, they know as as well as I do what it takes. But you got to remember that they're working on the scale, and instead of me feeding forty head or a hundred and fifty or two hundred head at a time, yeah, those guys are feeding fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred thousand at a time. <laughs> That's so crazy now. just think about just think the about quality the quality control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I'll guarantee you, those feedlots they do their very best because if they don't, they're losing money. Yeah, and they are very good at what they do. They're just doing it on such a huge scale. Yeah, that. 
where, where do you draw the line between quality and and profits? Right, they're just trying to find that every year. Yeah, well, they have a. Like, I just, I'm just amazed at at those things, and I could I could spend time at one of those huge dairy farms watching them handle the cattle and watch them go through, or or at a feedlot watch these guys handle them because they are really really good at what they do. Yeah, we just do it on a different scale, and we have the luxury because we're vertically integrating. Of doing it on my time schedule, not on not on a mass time schedule. Right. So I'm just lucky that way. I, I'm just thinking back to some of the, uh, I think it's PETA and a couple of those organizations that talk about uh, factory farming and how horrible they are to the animals and stuff like that. And I, I remember watching them going, well, what's the benefit of breaking a pig's leg or, or you know, whipping a cow or whatever? And not that I think it never happens, because I'm sure it does on all farms that, you know, people are people. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to not be well trained at their job. Something, this stuff can happen. But it can't be the norm that that's how people run these farms. No, it's just like it's just like the guy telling you that, that there's too much pollution from it. You can pigeonhole any picture, right? Right. And and that's what happens. And and you know, Pete is very well funded. And um, I guess if if the cattle industry and the hog industry and the dairy industry, if we all got together and and we're smart enough <laughs> to fund it and and rebut it, yeah, that we probably could. Yeah. But um, as serious as we should take it, I think that you know we just kind of brush it off and. Uh, most people in agriculture aren't ones to talk back to somebody else. Yeah. We yeah. let them do the talking and just kind of. And, and it's a hard gig, right? Like there's 7 billion people on our planet that we're trying to feed every single day. It's it's not an easy task. And by no means am I defending, you know, Monsanto. And, and uh, you know, there's got to be some bad factory farms out there. I'm sure there that there is. Um, uh, not defending any of those actions. But what... The, the the what you guys are trying to achieve, what ranchers, factory farms, you know, these massive plants are trying to achieve is to get food to all the, the humans on the planet. And that's not an easy task. I mean, our little town is, I think, near 70,000 right now. And uh, just, just getting enough food for 70,000 people is a daunting task. What do you do with 7 billion? Well, last year on Open Farm Days was a bit of an eye-opener for me because... Um, Everybody was asking me if, if we were organic. And I said, no, we're not organic. And they said, well, you should be organic. <laughs> I said, well, why should we be organic? And they said, because it takes responsibility. You don't use sprays. You don't need... I said, well, yeah, you're right. That in an ideal world, that if nobody would have to use a spray or a fertilizer... Or, yeah. Um, but... Because we are the custodians of the land, I believe that if there's a noxious weed out there that's going to take over somebody else's crop, it's up to me to get rid of the weed, whether I dig it out yeah. or have to use a spray on it. Yeah. That, that is, that's, that's our responsibility as, as landowners to take care of that. I can't guarantee that, that there wouldn't be some wind drift from another farm that gets on my, on my grass. Yeah. I can't guarantee that. So I can't guarantee that that uh how far away would you have to be to guarantee yourself organic (laughs) and how much land a mile you could smell it for a mile right yeah yeah but the we i was driving the team of horses and i had a uh two times this happened i had a load of people on it and this guy so you should be organic well i said well i'm not he said what do you call yourself 
That's what I call myself natural yeah. and sustainable. I said, I do everything as natural as I can, and we do it so that we can sustain the way of life that we want and, yeah. and to move forward. Well, you guys should be organic. And, <laughs> and uh, there were some people from Central Africa on the, on the hay rack with me. And I turned to them and I said, would you folks care if it's organic or would just, just like an abundance of food so that you could feed your country? Yeah. They said, we don't care. We just need food. Right. And so I had another one and the same conversation came up. The same answer came up. These are some people from Russia that were there. Yeah. And they said, we've been hungry and we just appreciate food. Yeah. And so both times I asked the guy that was sure we should be organic, how the top one or half of 1% of the world could dictate to the rest of the world. Right. Yeah, yeah. How we should be producing food for the other people. Yeah, exactly. And, uh. It was kind of funny because without knowing it, the same weekend, my son had the same conversation with his <laughs> boss in the Netherlands. Okay. I think maybe the same day even. Wow. And and the boss over there was, was of the understanding it should be. And when he posed him with the same question that I posed, he said, you know what? You're right. We've got to be careful how we dictate what what we ask of the world because we're fortunate to have food. Yeah. And there's a lot of the world that's not. Correct. I'm not saying that all the GMOs are fantastic or, or you know, that we're doing everything the right way, but we sure are doing our best to feed as many people as we can. Yeah, exactly. The uh, It's almost like those, um, those words pop up and it just becomes a, a bit of a fad, like to be organic or to be... Um, grass-fed. We talked a little bit, and I'll, I'll get you to elaborate on this a little bit too, because I've had grass-fed beef, and uh, I, I'm sure that it may have, you know, maybe a little bit more protein or a little bit cleaner, um, but it doesn't taste as good, or it doesn't taste what I'm used to eating, I guess. Not that grass-fed is bad by any means, but it definitely has its own taste. Yeah, no, we... I've got a, actually I ran his, his yearlings for him for a long time and, and a good friend of mine and his, his daughter, um, had a really, really good, uh, grass fed program. Yeah. Uh, the flood in Calgary in 2013 got to all of her restaurants that she was really successful with in downtown Calgary and shut them down and kind of ruined her business. Oh, wow. Um, they were shut down for so long that, that she couldn't sustain the inventory that she had. Yeah. Uh, with the with the grass fed thing, your window of opportunity is very narrow yeah. in in our part of the country, and so you know, getting on to September, October, November is probably the end of when you can harvest your cattle that way, and so it it just makes it a little bit tough. Now I tried their their beef that they had, and, and uh, it was uh, Nicole Lambs is whose it was, okay, and it was outstanding. Yeah. They did, they're really good operators and they did it really well. Yeah. I've had others that, that just taste a little bit gamey. Yeah. Um, but lots of people love it and lots of people think that it's the way to go. I, I prefer the consistency of being able to raise each one basically the same on the same ration so that every time I sell you a product, you're going to know it's going to taste the same. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what that's why I like doing what I do. I love the taste of the of the white fat on the cattle from getting it finished that so way. So good. And so we just we made a decision when we when we were going to do that. We've always liked the grain-fed cattle better. Yeah. That my goal is to make every piece of meat taste exactly the same, and that's one of the struggles that that uh, we have with our our meat in the supermarket is one day you'll get a good one and 
and the next day you won't. It's so frustrating, and it's actually the reason why uh, my wife and I started looking for um, people like you. I think, um, I'm trying to remember, there was another uh, grass-fed local person that we were buying beef off of for a little while, and um, the, the consistency is what bothers me. Like when I cook a steak, I'd like it to be, you know, five minutes each side on medium, a little bit of butter, some salt, and pepper, maybe some garlic. And then, uh, you know, you throw it on a pan or in a plate, let it rest for five minutes. And I don't want it to be that steak. The, the only reason I'm eating it is because it's that flavor of steak that I know. Right? Yeah. And when you get one that's tough or tastes different, you're like, ugh. You know, I, I spend a lot of time making sure the steak is perfect. You know, letting it rest for five minutes makes yeah. the steak phenomenal. You spend a lot of money on it, too. Yeah, they're, they're uh, I'd have to say a serving is probably anywhere from 8 to $11 now. Yeah. Um, uh, for a guy like me, I mean, I eat, when I eat ribeyes, I eat a pretty big piece, probably eight ounces or nine ounces of it, or twelve, or or, or twelve sometimes. <laughs> the uh, the last couple we got from you guys, they I'm weighing out my food now because the the uh, diet my wife's got me on, and I'm looking at that. I'm like, I can only eat half of that. I'm like, ah, you know what? I'll run a little bit more tomorrow, <laughs> and I'm I'm getting into this steak right now. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, you, you you want that consistency. You want it to taste the same. You, you know. We, we don't cheap out on food, and not that we spend a lot of money on food. Like, we're not looking for the most expensive thing, but, you know, we buy some organic vegetables. We try to buy your local ranch and some, um, uh, you know, Hutterite chickens and stuff like that because they're just, they're, they're better tasting, and that's the only reason, and they're consistent. Yeah. Um, the grass-fed, I didn't find the consistency, is, and again, I didn't love the flavor, but that's a, a personal tasting, nothing against a rancher. Well, it's it, it is it is nothing against the rancher. They um, they are they are the, at the mercy of our environment. Yeah, and uh, you know I don't know if they have. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the one you were at, but if if you got all the same breed of cattle and the same type of cattle in that breed, then it's a little easier to be more consistent. Yeah, but you know if if they're if they're not all consistent, you're going to have a variation. So. I think they were a fairly new startup. Like they were only maybe a year or two in. It's a, a local veterinarian that yeah. owns it. Uh, permaculture. Permaculture, right? Um, Chad and Nancy, I believe. Yeah, Chad yeah. Hewlett. Yeah. Yeah, the great, great people, and it really just good guys. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't my flavor. And obviously, he's nope. a vet. He knows. Animals. I think they're doing. I think they're doing well. I think so too. Yeah. 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 No, good on them. I, uh, and the people that like it don't stop. You know, I, I think it's the same with the organic meat. If it's something that you love and you want, then don't stop. But anyone that's eating whole foods, like uh, nothing processed, if it's breaded or comes in a box or went through a factory, then then you're doing something that's maybe not so good for the environment or the population yeah. as, as a whole. You're supporting these companies that probably shouldn't be doing. You could probably dig through my house and find the odd thing in here as well. We're heading out camping uh, um, tomorrow afternoon. So I got a camping package for you at home. Do you? <laughs> we just we just loaded up last weekend. I still got two or three steaks left, and so yeah, um, that'll be coming with us. But. Uh, you know, the um, as much as you can stay natural, I think we talked the first time I met you about uh, health and fitness and, and that yeah. kind of stuff and how important it is that we um, 
um, sorry, my computer distracted me, that we're always working towards just doing things a little bit better than we did. And I think that's your mentality with your ranch. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's, that's kind of the way we raise our cattle and, yeah. and treat all our animals. And, and, uh, it's, it's important that you're, you're on top of your vaccinations. And yeah, I mean, if you do a good job, just like with kids, if you do a good job vaccinating and getting there and keeping everything up to date, yeah, you don't have to spend much money on anything else because if they're healthy, they take care of themselves. So that's something you can maybe elaborate on. What kind of vaccination do, uh, maybe it's different in different places. I was going to say Canadian cattle need. Um, you know, I don't know all the names that are in there. We, they get, at our place, they get two shots and one's for a black leg. And uh, that's... What's black leg? Well, it'll, from from when you find it to when they're dead is probably about 12 hours. Oh, maybe wow. 24 if you're lucky or unlucky or however. Yeah. But it's they get kind of an edema, erodema under their under their their foreleg, like under their fore kind of their arm their pits. Leg. Yeah. yeah, and and it just poisons them immediately. Oh wow! So that's a that's an important one, and it's related to lots of different things. Um, we've done a lot of studies back when we had the purebred cattle with uh, some ulcer work and stuff like that, and and they uh, they found that the black leg actually was maybe related somewhat to. Uh, twisted abomasins and, and ulcers and stuff in cattle. Okay. So we keep that up, and calves get it uh, at branding time, and then they get it again. We just did it on Monday, so we try to get it three weeks to six weeks before we wean them so that their immunities are high when we wean. Okay. And then there's other pneumonia ones, and, and uh, one they call BVD, and don't ask me to tell you exactly <laughs> what that stands for, but yeah. but there's lots of... Lots of, uh, in, there's like five things in the, in that express five vaccine Yeah, that covers a broad spectrum of things. So, okay. So it's not a ton of stuff going in them. It's just nope. making sure that all the kind of major things that they're susceptible to are, are covered. All those, all those things that were covered are done in four milli- milliliters. Oh, wow. That's yeah. the total amount that they're <laughs> yeah. getting over their lifetime is four milliliters. Uh, no, at a time. Like at a, at the two, twice two a time. mils for each. Oh wow! Shot so it covers about ten things in four mils. Wow! So and such then, a low amount. And then the cows will get it every spring. We, okay. Before we turn out with the bull to breed them again, the cows will get their boosters. Yeah. And it's just. Well, there, there's something I didn't know. So they, they're still um, bred naturally. There's yeah. no insemination. There's no. You just no. let the bull out in the the pasture, and he does what he does. And yeah, I've oh, got wow. about. 5,000 doses of semen in my garage that I probably should be using, but yeah, we when we had the purebred cattle, we AI'd so many cows that my arm just doesn't like it anymore. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, there's, there's that veterinarian show, um, is it the Wonderful Dr. Pole or the Amazing Dr. Pole? I don't know if you've I seen this. I haven't seen it, though. No. He's a, an American, um, a large animal veterinarian, and you know, he's birthing cows and fixing llamas and yeah. you know anything to do with large mammals that he's a he's a big part of it. and they made a whole tv show out of it but the amount of time that guy's buried up to his shoulders yeah. in inside of a cow just like this is this just it's not it's not pleasant well we did when we were in the purebred thing i would do 300 head in three weeks and we would you would inseminate 300 cattle in in, in three weeks, weeks. And I would start at like four or five in the morning, and I'd go till two in the morning. That was my hours of operation in those three weeks. So Whoa. whenever whenever their timing was right is when we would. Yeah. But 
we were probably hitting about 15 to 20% higher than what natural service would be too. For, okay. For uh, conception on them. So, so what happens if, uh, so you've got whatever, a uh, hundred head of cattle in the field and you set the bull loose and you're, you're, what's, what's your pregnancy rate then? Well, we do, we do, um, in the, in the purebred thing, it was different because we would, we would have one bull with 50, 60, 70 cows. Yeah. And, you know, he would be out for like 50 days and he'd do about 60, 70% on first cycle. And then he, next one, he'd do about the same again. Okay. But in the commercial world, what we're in right now with the commercial cows, we can turn out uh, basically uh, one bull um, with twenty cows. So if we got okay. we got a hundred cows, I got five bulls out there. Yeah, basically, I might I might do twenty five, but but that's kind of what we do. And so do you get nearly hundred percent? Yeah, we'll. Um, I think I did ninety four something on our heifers last year, and I think the cows were. A little better than that. I think I had probably average three or four percent open on on them, which was that's that's as good as you get. You should expect ten percent cows that don't get bred. Okay. Yeah. And so those just go to. Um... Well, the the heifers we will um, preg check them early and then put them into our program. Yeah. And then the cows they'll go to an auction mart. Okay. And, yeah. So um, how long do bulls last, basically? Like how many seasons do you get out of a bull? Uh, I'd like to get six or seven or eight, but probably get four to five. Some will last one or two years, and we had a we had a really, really good old bull. He was 13 when he last bred, so. Uh, <laughs> Ambitious guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he was, he was a great one, but generally, you know, if you can get a bull that's eight or nine years old, that's pretty old for a bull. They've fought with everything. and So do they just, do they just stop wanting to breed? Is that the thing? Oh man, it's, it's all sorts of things. It, it could be an injury. It, okay. it could be, yeah. It's gotta be somewhat violent. I mean, I, I, I've got, uh, I've seen some videos of, of it happening. So, you know, you got a 2000 pound animal mounting another 2000 pound animal. Yeah. Well, that's not generally when, when they get hurt. It's, it's, uh, like you'll get, you'll get two bulls that one bull will hit the other one from behind and it'll pop his, his hip out, his stifle out or something oh, wow. or just, you know, they're just they're just big animals. Yeah, if they can wreck themselves, they create a new way every time. I wow. mean, it's so it's just them being bulls, right? Being yeah. competitive and in the season and just yeah. or in the winter. I mean, heck, you can you can have four or five bulls kind of sleeping around, and one guy gets mad at the other one, and <laughs> for no good reason. Yeah, yeah. and so have you? They're animals. Have you ever heard of scrub bulls? No. So I think the name actually comes from Australia. And what it was in Australia, the cattle ranch is there. And when they get out and they can't get them back, they get out into the outback or whatever, they turn back into wild bulls. So they get yeah. all like matted up and hairy and mean. And supposedly those things get mean as get out. Like they're so just nasty. We have a Aussie boy working for us right now. And his job is to actually go muster those. That's what he does in Australia. Okay. And my son, when he was over there, my middle boy, he actually made catches on the front of four wheelers and jeeps to go out and put the hook around their neck you know and, yeah and they cl- call them clean skins hmm. they call them out there because they're cattle that are they're just wild yeah and they don't have brands and they don't have their okay and they just skins. gather them up and bring them back to the farm well yeah the, lots of them that's their 
I mean, that's the way they make a living. The one fellow that my boy worked for, he uh, actually it's where he met the young man that's working for us. Is they, they, uh, he would get enough of those to fill a boat. So <laughs> he had about a million acres of of land that he leased and owned and and whatever and and so like they would gather five thousand of them up every year. Unbelievable. Yeah. This might interest you. Maybe you can ask your uh, your Aussie helper there that uh, in Australia they actually hunt um, uh, domestic cats, household cats. They're so wild over there. You'll see hunting magazines with a guy holding a bow and a dead <laughs> <And a> cat. <laughs> cat as he's out bow hunting. Uh, you can imagine it's got to be a difficult shot. I mean, oh, when yeah. you're you're hunting a deer, you got a, like a foot wide pattern when you can hit some lungs. And what do you I hit? hope he's not eating it. I don't think they. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine it being any good. But uh, yeah, I'll there's ask about it. Aussie hunters out there uh, hunting domestic cats that are roaming wild because uh, they're they're not um, natural to the land. Yeah, they just so feral they, cats. Yeah, they kill all the the ground uh, nesting birds and yeah. flowers, and they're. I mean. I think there was a study done in the U.S. where they talked about, um, I think it was a billion bio pounds a year they figured domestic cats kill. Really? So between mice, uh, rats, smaller cats, squirrels, birds, like you name it, they are just just a hair off of what like a cougar or a lion are. They're just 15 pounds of the same thing. Oh, they're yeah. just not 300 yeah. pounds. They're some kind of nasty. Yeah, they're vicious. Yeah, so uh, I just thought it was funny when I heard that. that you know, you see the Canadian hunters with the, the big elk on the ground and his bow sitting on top of it, and he's all proud, and there's a big rack, and, um, yeah, Australians are holding up a little kitty cat that they took out, some Sylvester. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, what was next on there. Uh, we did, we covered a lot already. Holy man. So what's, uh, what's next for your farm? Like, where are you going to, you know, you, I think you said you were kind of maxed out for the amount of cattle you can handle. Uh, no, we can, we're just, we're just gently raising it up and I think we can probably go to 300 cows. Okay. And we should be at 250 this year, give or take that we calve. Okay. So we'll test it through the winter and see how it goes and see if we're maxed or if I can grow a little bit more. I mean, yeah. there's the other side of the operation is that we can still sell those cattle for, you know, just as grade cattle to the auction marts or to a feedlot or whatever. So yeah. there were something if I, uh, and I think this year we'll probably keep all of our steers yeah. that uh, we have for the meat shop and see if we market them or not. Okay. The, the toughest struggle that I have is that, we are so far out on these cattle. Like they're they're two years old, some of them. When by the time from very start to very finish, from when they're born to when they're finished, yeah. And it takes about 180 to 200 days to finish them. So I can't just say, "Oh, I need that one," because if I need that one, he's still 100 days away. So how do you keep your freezers full? And and right, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. That's that's the balance and. Um, we're doing a we're doing a an amazingly good job from what we started to where we are now of actually balancing a carcass so that we make sure that all of it is used um, properly so that we don't have an abundance of some kind of roast or or something like that. And last year, um, right after Christmas, we 
donated $1,500 worth of roast to the food bank. Nice. And um, so we, as much as I love to give away, I, I would rather sell it, right? So yeah, I want to make sure that we're balanced. And we're doing a pretty good job now to getting it all balanced so that yeah. we're... Your guys' marketing has been pretty good, too, because I know a lot of people locally are hearing about you. You guys have uh, your um, product in restaurants in Airdrie and Calgary. Yeah. Uh, well, not, not really in Calgary. We're, we're with um, the Hayloft in Airdrie, and they're kind of a shining star for us. They do a really good job of promoting us. Um, they could do a good job on the cooking, too. Oh, they're yeah. pretty fantastic. Yeah, they are They are delightful to, to eat at that restaurant. Yeah. The other good friend of mine is Damon Emmett with the food truck. Okay. And he does a great job promoting what we do, and, and uh, he uses all sorts of things. He, uh, if he's catering, he might use our crossrib roast, but on the food truck, he uses Montreal smoked meat and mm. hamburgers and Smokies and hot dogs and just all sorts of things he tries. Nice. Uh, lots of hamburger and chili, right? Yeah. And uh, Simply for Life, uh, that's where my wife works. Yeah, Simply for Life, and they've been with us almost since the very start. Very cool. Uh, the other, um, homegrown in Airdrie. Homegrown. So I, if I know them. Yeah. Well, they're right beside the track in, uh, what's the senior facility station? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cedar station. Cedar station. Yeah. So they're right in the bottom of that and they do local, everything local from, from, uh, court sealers full of cookie mix that's been made locally <laughs> nice. to, to, uh, artwork and, and they sell, yeah, our, our beef and, and so they're they're pretty good, and and her dad actually owns the big feedlot just east of town. Okay. So and uh, yeah, so she's a great supporter. Um, I got a couple other food trucks. We got Madden Golf Course that handles it. Um, oh, Glen Eagles at Cochrane. Nice. So just a nice mix of of yeah. you know of different things, different places and. Yeah, you don't want to overgrow your marketing and then not have enough to go out. You exactly. don't want to overgrow your cattle and then uh, sitting on too much stock for too long. My business son says it doesn't matter if your inventory is walking or frozen. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I have a huge freezer. So there you go. So we actually all winter when when it slows down a little bit, we work really hard to get our to get our freezer filled for the summer rush. Yes. And so yeah, we we go. Just it's harder, harder in the winter trying to get it ready for summer. So, do you guys ever have a downtime with running a ranch? No, we butcher every week. Uh, our butcher shop closes at Christmas. That's it, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and they do a big sale on Father's Day, so we 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 go hard before and hard to catch up after, and then yeah. But it, yeah, Christmas, uh, I think we're we don't butcher for a week. Oh wow! And there, so yeah. That's crazy to think that you got to go, you know, 50 weeks a year. Like, that's essentially what you're saying, right? You get a little bit of time off in there, but not very much. Yeah. Well, the the one thing that people got to realize about a ranch and or a farm, but, but particularly a ranch, because what you have on the ranch, everything's alive and everything needs to be taken care of. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not your typical farm where, you know, you can close the shop door and your tractor is safe and sound. But we live there. Yeah. And we are working there every Seven day, days a week. all day, yeah. and all night when the neighbors call and say something's out, or yeah. you know. So it's it's a it's a funny thing. If we want a day off, we can't stay home. Yeah, because there's something going on. You know, everybody says, "Well, what do you you know what are you doing?" Oh, I'm just staying at home. I'm relaxing. 
<laughs> well, if you're at home when you're at our place, you're working. Yeah. So if you need a day off, you can't stay home. <laughs> yeah. You know why that's funny? Because I've been in construction most of my life, and I was like, why don't we get more farmhouses? And like most farmhouses, they're, they're nice, but they're not extravagant by any means. But if you're working from sunup till sundown, you're not doing anything in your house anyways. Yeah. You go in, you eat, you sleep, and then you're back out on the farm to or the ranch to take care of the the animals. Yeah. Well, that was a guy said to me. He said, well, "What'd you do?" And, and last spring, the wife and I went to uh, Robert Trent Jones Golf down uh, in Alabama. Okay. And he said, "It must be nice. I should get your job." I said, "Yeah. Well, <laughs> come on out. <laughs> give it I'll a go, give, buddy. I'll give you. I'll give you a month of, of tutoring and see how you do." Yeah. But see, that's the that's what most people don't understand is that unless we leave. Yeah. And when we leave, we are off. But generally, those are the only days you're really off. Right, exactly. So, and you got to have someone cover you while you're there. So you're paying well, to have someone take you know, care of the animals. You know, we're lucky with uh, with um, that plan that we got. It's with the vertical integration. I know my one son that that wrote it, and that's so full of advice. He's in he's in the Netherlands, but he will. He's planning on coming home. Okay. And uh, you know, he'll be the business one. My my middle boy, he's he's the worker. He he's a welder, and uh, you know he does all the checking of the cattle and he feeds them. And nice. and so when I'm not there, he's there. And and then my daughter, who lives south of Calgary, she uh, she looks after the on uh, online store, the like the social website, media, the social media. Nice. So you know, with the succession plan, I got all these kids that that have a job that really don't have to work directly together. Yeah, yeah. Um, they got to get along to, to make money. Yeah. But they don't have to get in each other's way. Still a good model. And it's it's a really nice model, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. very cool. I, uh, I was thinking back to your time about butchering, and I think a lot of people don't understand, like, Every bit of that cow gets used. So Absolutely. I had a, um, a cousin that worked at uh, Cargill in um, uh, High River, and uh, his job all day, every day, was to uh, take the eyeballs out of the skulls. And, uh, of course, the cow's already been butchered. He was in a room full of heads. And um, then they that's his was his only job. Someone got the brain. Someone. So what are what what happens with your cattle as far as, like, organ meat, skin, bones, stuff like that? So when, when, uh, we, get, when we get them to the uh, butcher shop... Um, we it, it comes with uh, with the organs. So one of the one of the things that that I know I'm doing a good job is all my livers are good. Yeah. And so if you if you're not doing a good job, you're going to have abscesses and, and it's the same with human beings. It's the number one the thing to look for in the body is yep. liver health. And so we get the liver, um, and I offer it for sale. It's unbelievable. It's not a real high seller. And then we have kidneys. most nutritious part of the, yeah. the any animal really. Yeah. Yeah. But we have the kidneys, um, the tongue, and the heart. Uh, we have them on. And that's what I tell somebody. They said, well, what do you got? I said, we got from the tongue to the oxtail. <laughs> and so we do. And we have yeah. everything in between. Um, we're, we, don't have, we don't do the brains and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... So what happens to that stuff? So the lungs, you guys aren't selling. The intestines are not selling and the brains. Well, I'm not sure... Part of that gets sold back, and some of it is just turned into dog foods and, and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, the stuff that that we don't use at the like if I don't take 
the all the tongue home or the liver, the kidneys, the heart. I know that I give it to the butcher shop down there, and they make dog food out of it. Yeah. So, so but we try to. I try to use absolutely everything. We have yeah. neck bones in there, so we bone out the neck bones, <laughs> and I cut them up. And we have neck bones. Yeah. Um, Great so, for broths yeah. and uh, everything. I mean, we yeah. we do a broth pretty much every week. So I'll roast a full chicken tomorrow when that comes out. We'll pick all the meat off it and then we'll roast the bones. Yep. Um, that That's part of my diet is literally two days a week for three quarters of the day. I just drink bone broth and tea and that's my, my fasting day. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I haven't been sick in three years. Yeah. The the benefits of having bone broth every day or, or a couple times a week is amazing. Yeah. So um, I was just thinking, if you guys are going to integrate fully and start doing your own butchering, have your own facility, is that something you would be doing is raw dog food and, and those types of things? Yeah, you got to... Actually, we do have, like, the, the trim that I bring home, I have some, some small packs of raw dog food and yeah. we have dog bones. You got to keep it separate. Um, I got a separate freezer for that yeah. because it has to be kept separate. Any dog food from, from human consumption. Yeah, obviously. So uh, if we had our own butcher shop, you'd have to have your own little smoke shop that, that you would smoke the, the dog food. And so the stuff that I get is not smoked. It's just, it's raw. Yep. I have that. Okay. But these other guys, they're, they kind of run it through a like a like a meat grinder, and then they tube it, yeah, smoke it, yeah, and freeze it and cut it up into pucks. Okay, which it seems like a lot of work for a dog that really would just as soon have raw dog food. But that, that's that's what I'm getting. So I do the, uh, <laughs> it makes the owners feel better, anyways. Yeah, I don't I don't get the smoke stuff. I just get uh, it's called a sixty. 60, 30, 10 split. So it's 10% vegetables, 30% organ meat, and then um, organ meat and bone, and then the rest is just raw meat. Yeah. No smoking, no nothing. It's uh, and Mine's chicken. I haven't tried him on the beef yet, but yeah. he does so well on a chicken. Like my dog's almost nine years old, and people, is that a puppy? Well, everyone's heard him earlier tonight. I didn't lock <laughs> him up before we started the show. So, Well, that's it. I've raised my little pup on mostly on the trim so it's the dry ends off my prime rib and and (laughs) strip lines and and that's that's he does very well oh yeah yeah Yeah. i had uh talked to actually you might even know this guy too there's a local rancher that does buffalo and i think he is north west of airdrie there was a big buffalo farm up there i can't remember his name glengarry Glengarry Farms, yeah. 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 Um, couldn't remember, um, uh, or sorry, he had a 14-year-old, um, not a blue healer, what's the black and white ones that are like? Border here? Collie. Border Collie. And yeah. this thing outran my dog. Uh, at the time, my dog was only four or five. My dog's fast. Um, and I'm like, what is the, like, what are you feeding the dog? He's like, just raw buffalo, and they do organ meat, yeah. uh, all that kind of stuff, too. People don't understand... He was telling me he was, because uh, he was going to lean towards doing more um, pet food than actually selling buffalo because it wasn't selling that well. Yeah. And uh, he went over to Germany, I think somewhere uh, in the UK as well, talking to veterinarians. And something like 80 or 90% of North American pets die of cancer. Um, yeah, it's huge. It's it's ridiculous, and yeah. people keep feeding them that same. And that's the only place it's coming from. I mean, the odd one might be pollution or people smoking in a house or something like that. But it's probably their food that's killing them. 
Yeah, well, it could be. I don't know. There's there's so many so many things out there that we're part of it is that that we're everybody complains about GMOs and stuff, but we're also breeding our pets kind of down a pigeonhole too, right? Because yeah. we're 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 breeding them to look this way or act this way instead of being real natural. Exactly, and it's a little hard on them. You know, genetically. You look at the the bulldogs and... Uh, and stuff, yeah. Yeah, they have to actually have surgery so they can yeah. breed, like take teeth out so that, and like, what are you doing? Like, how ugly does this thing have to be yeah. before you're happy with it? But yeah, they're they're very, very different than they used yeah. to be. My dogs, I, I have just border collies, and they usually live pretty happy for about 10 years. And, yeah. and you know, they work. They work hard. They get kicked once in a while. And, yeah. And so... You know they're usually ten, twelve years old, and and they get, they get, kind of lots of scraps and yeah, and, and uh, this one, this one's been on raw meat since she was about three weeks old. So wow, yeah, it's ever since. How old her, is she now? Just over a year. Okay. Yeah, she's she and tortures herself too, but that's actually uh, brings up a good question too. Do you do any training for the dogs to help herd cattle, or is just all natural with them? Most of it's natural. Yeah. yeah. I watched a documentary on it. It just blows my mind. I watched yeah. one. Uh, it was about um, border collies and sheep. And uh, I guess the border collie has a look. Like he'll lower his head down and give the animal a look. Yeah. And then the animal goes, oh, this isn't good. And they, yeah. they start taking Strong them. eye is what they call a it. Strong right? eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you watch the puppies do it. And they try. And if they don't do it right, the sheep will give them a head butt. And yeah. so they get, they get trained by the animals they're trying to... Um, guide and also just you know naturally through the DNA. Yeah, no, they they're they're really sharp. I think I think the one thing that that uh, particular to me struggling on this new dog I got is that she is so fast and so eager that just the control just to just to get it to slow down, right? <laughs> yeah, because she does everything right. Yeah, just so fast that. She makes mistakes because she's way past. She goes so much faster than she can think at this age. That you know, but she she's just a sweetheart. Yeah, I. Um, it was funny. My wife. I'm not throwing her under the bus here, but she was very against having dog in the house. So the like we we fought about it for a while, and I'm like, you're supposed to have a dog in the house. It's just uh, a house isn't normal without a dog in it. And so uh, I jokingly call her the puppy kicker. She's never kicked puppies. <laughs> but, um, Careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll have uh, Peter knocking on our front door, but uh, not more than two weeks after we got this dog that we got here, that that dog was her dog, like a hundred percent. And uh, she still gets mad every once in a while. He's he's stolen a few steaks out of the frying pan, <laughs> got his nose burnt in some uh, soup on the oven. But uh, he's he's a really good dog. And, yeah. uh, so he's he's almost nine now and healthy and still good to go. So hoping yeah. to get another five six years out of him. Yeah. No, they're good. They're they're intelligent. Yeah. Sometimes they're smarter than some of the owners by a little bit. <laughs> I think so, too. That's what, that's what I tell my son. I said, I don't know how long it took that dog to train you, but it's <laughs> exactly. got you trained. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Um, so where where's your ranch going next? You talked about a little bit of growth. I know you are working on um, chickens next, you, your eggs for sure. Yeah, well, we got, we've got some eggs. That was my mistake. We I bought my wife some chickens for Mother's Day, kind of thought it was kind of funny and <laughs> I bought her five and now we got 75 so um, real. but uh yeah we sold um 
since May, we sold about, uh, I think it was just looking 450 dozen eggs. Okay. So they're all run out in the grass too. And yeah, so. Yeah, we were, uh, saw it on the weekend there. The uh, nice big pen. Yeah. Uh, it was still nice and clean. Um, I'll tell you a story about me because. You actually, you helped me overcome a fear. So I've got a pretty good fear of birds. Um, I believe they're nasty dinosaurs. They're just there you to You watched ki- the movie, didn't you? Well, yeah, I don't know what movie that is, but you can just tell by looking at them. I've been swooped by hawks, and, yeah. and uh, you watch these things kill, and that's what they're designed to do. You watch a, a mouse get into a chicken pen, that's some kind of carnage you don't need to see. So, but anyways, you're, uh, I, I don't remember the girl's name that was out there, but she went and picked up a chicken and brought it over and I pet it <laughs> and walked around and sort of overcame my fear of, uh, yeah. of birds. They're pretty nice chickens. They're, they're pretty, pretty tame for sure. We, so we fed them a little bit. We are, we are looking, we're looking at to find a place where we can get chickens that are raised the way we want it to be raised and we'll put them through the meat shop. We're just, yeah, we're just still kind of checking it out. Getting a handle on the beef and then yeah. move on to the next thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so I think, I don't know what the time frame is and, you know, the butcher shop that we're at is so good to us. Yeah. That I'd like to stay with that as long as they can handle our volume and we're getting a little tight on volume sometimes now with them. Yeah. But uh, I guess that would be the next natural action would be to to have a butcher shop and. Would you uh, move into pigs, or is that not well to integrate with with cattle? I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. There's a uh, the Baron Flower out at Iracana have some fantastic pigs, and if I was going to sell pigs, I'd probably deal with them. Okay. They, What's it called? Baron Flower. Never it, heard of it. Yeah. They well they are at the Hayloft too. And actually, we bought two pigs off them for open farm days so that the kids could come out and see some pigs. Oh, okay. Yeah, we saw them out there. And yeah. So, yeah, they're going to go in our freezer here not too far off. And, Very cool. But, uh, you know, if somebody's looking for some for some really well-raised hogs, that's the that's the place. They're they're a wonderful couple out there. And awesome. They do it right. And where are they at again? Iracana. Iracana. Okay. Yeah. I'll look them up. I... Uh, I can't eat grocery store pork anymore. I um I'm done. Like other than ribs uh, and bacon, but I can't eat a pork chop or a roast or I don't know what it is. The the stuff we're seeing right now is just not appetizing at all. So there's no flavor to it. So I'd like to find some place where I get something with some some flavor. Well, those so, guys are good. Cool. I'll have yeah. to give it a go. Then we'll yeah. uh, we'll make the drive out there. Yeah. Um, let's go back. I know, uh, you've been around this area for, well, your whole life. You, yep. uh, born, um, in Northern Calgary and you guys, uh, your parents had a ranch out there and then you went to school in, uh, Airdrie, yep. our little town here, right from beginning to end. You yep. graduated here. So, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about Airdrie and how it's changed over the years? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, fastest growing city in North America, I might add. Yeah. Well, I tell you, um... I don't I don't remember exactly the population in Airdrie when I started grade one, but I'm thinking it was around six hundred people. Uh I know that uh our our we were middle school, maybe maybe junior high and we had to go clean up the town and it was only a block and a half south of the Plainsman Arena. Oh wow. And that was that was the outskirts of town. Yeah. My, my now wife's grandparents lived on that. They could they seed the field south of town. Wow. And uh, 
then uh, I guess it uh, where where uh, I always say UFA where UFA used to be where Cam Clark's uh, used car yeah right in the corner of the highway there basically yeah that was the recon center so it was used farm machinery that they deconstructed and okay. sent away and oh boy I'll tell you there was there was a shell on uh, Edmonton Trail that was the restaurant until uh where paul's is it was the highwayman came in when i was about grade seven or eight or something like wow that. yeah so and there is a, a nice little chinese restaurant down on on maine but other than that that was it there was nothing yeah that sure didn't come over the tracks like houses didn't come quite to the tracks at that time wow so, i uh i am new to air like we've been in there for 14 years but i obviously wasn't born and raised here yeah and the the one thing we noticed when uh, we were here is that it was a little bit difficult to get to know people. And so 14 years ago, I think there was about 30,000, maybe 25,000 people in Airdrie. And over the this 14 years, we've over doubled, and I think we're nearly 70,000 now. And what I realized was is that nobody that lives in Airdrie is from Airdrie. No, that's Everybody right. is new here, and it, it creates a very different dynamic in this town than you get um, in big cities. They sleep here, but they don't live here. That's that's a big part of it too, right? A lot of yeah. WestJet police officers. But nurses. I gotta tell you, it's changing. Yeah, yeah. I I I just can't believe how much uh, support Airdrie has given us. Nice. Like it's, and and then you get to know people, and and those guys know these guys, and and you know what it is. It grew so fast, but it's it's uh, becoming a real community again. Yeah, it really is. I uh, I see it online. There's uh, groups like Airdrie Dads, and yeah. there used to be an Airdrie Moms, which I think they had some trouble. Um, you know, lots of the churches, the the community groups are all getting on there now, and you really see support. I think Airdrie Dads last year raised. I want to say like fifty or sixty thousand dollars for charities. Like they've just done a phenomenal job of these guys getting together and and uh, and and really creating a new community for us. Yeah, local support is is fantastic here. Um, uh, I am the president of the Airdrie Rodeo, and and uh, most people don't know we even have a rodeo. No, and uh, which yeah, is it's out by the dump, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the transfer site, transfer I believe site, the city calls transfer it. site. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> no, so uh, you know we we do our best to to uh, get people out there, and and we had a great year this year out there. But but yeah, it's. Uh, Did you rodeo at all? Uh, not too much. I I actually I rode steers in the first couple of Airdrie rodeos. Yeah, and uh, geez, that was uh, like 40, 43, 44 years ago, something oh, like wow. that. <laughs> so a long time. I think I was grade five or something. When I was okay. Doing. Yeah. And uh, then we, my brother-in-law now and I, when we were just in high school or just out, we were team roping at Airdrie a little bit, but didn't. Just Not for fun. Not a competitive level. Nah, just yeah. kind of for fun and that. So, no, I really, really didn't. Uh, on my mother's side of the family, there was a really good stock contractor. It was Harvey Northcott. And so he was my uncle. And, and uh, you know, he's he's a bit of a legend. <laughs> Good or bad, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, it always it was always fun to to go and watch how rodeo was performed and, yeah. and the business of rodeo because rodeo is a huge business now. Yeah, we and had million so, dollar bull rides now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was kind of interesting, and and so uh, you know, I have volunteered since 1980. 
or 82, I forget when I first started with Airdrie Rodeo and just about every performance that they've had. And my son has been volunteering there for like 17 years and he's only oh, wow. 20, 28. Yeah. So since he's 15 years old, basically. He's 11, I think, when 11, he started. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it's, and my dad was, uh, he was the arena director for years. And so we're the third generation with the Airdrie Rodeo. And wow. I volunteered for the Stampede and was chairman of a couple different things. So I believe that, I believe that volunteering, uh, as hard a work as it is sometimes is really good for you. I mean, it, I couldn't cleanses agree. your soul a little bit. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I uh, then the martial arts that I taught, I did it for free in Airdrie yeah. here for uh, three years, um, not nearly as long as what you guys did. But it, it was so rewarding to get to meet the community and give something yeah. to the community. It's it's uh, sorry everybody, that's my dog. I'll, next time I'll I'll kennel him up somewhere, uh, or maybe at least close the front door so he doesn't see the little poodles walking by. Uh, but yeah, volunteering is is amazing to, yeah. to to get out and meet your community, and I think the farm community, the ranching community, is probably the leaders in that area in uh, in these smaller towns. Yeah, I tell you what, the, the there's a lot of small towns that if if they didn't have an ag society or 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 a group of farmers or ranchers or or rural guys that were anchoring the the hockey rinks and and that, and uh, I know our our government that we have in power right now tried to eliminate the the grants to the uh, ag societies yeah when they realized how many hockey arenas <laughs> would go out of business or they would have to fund themselves yeah they thought it was pretty cheap to let the ag society guys give them a trickle of money and see what they can raise with it exactly and yeah. the ag societies do a fantastic job of of keeping our communities you know in in structure and yeah and uh, facilities and and funding them they do a good job yeah the farmers have always uh, been really really amazing my dad grew up in a, a farming community uh, in northern saskatchewan and he just it's endless stories on you know how something would go wrong or someone get in trouble and like everybody would buck up i know my yeah. grandfather got in some trouble with uh, the government and owed some money and literally every farmer showed up with an envelope saying he'll just pay the di- pay the bill and we'll and we'll move on and they they financially bailed them out yeah. you know this would have been i'm guessing probably back in the 40s or 50s that yeah. uh, that this happened so um yeah it's 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 always amazing to see people are um, jumping on board with that yeah as competitive as as our industry is and as much as you want to beat your neighbor at things <laughs> when things are tough you always seem to help them out yeah yeah so. <laughs> it will and that's the thing right you can't grow without having that someone pushing you there yeah. if you were the only rancher in town how good would you really yeah. be right yeah well one of the things i always tell people when they start complaining about somebody else i said well don't drag them down why don't you try to catch up with them that's it exactly <laughs> so. yeah i uh you know even our podcast here we uh we know we're not we're what our end is going to be with it but i listen to podcasts all day long because i want to see what everyone else is doing how can i improve how can i yeah. change this how how can I make this better? How can I get more gas? So it's a it's a constant growth thing, as I'm sure it is, and well, it should be for everybody in all their jobs, yeah. and uh, whether you're ranching or business or whatever it is, right? How can you uh, how can you increase? Yeah, well, are you uh, good for another beer? Yeah, I gotta have one more. Cool. I'll, uh, there's yours. Oh my goodness! Sorry, everybody. Next time, uh, I'll pin that dog down somewhere and. Pete will come knocking on the door. Bring some big dog bones in. Cheers.
I'll bring some big dog bones in and he can chew on them and keep them busy. Yeah, we um, actually, I have uh, from the place where I buy my raw dog food, um, they were not doing bones anymore. So I, they said, well, we got them on sale, grab a bag or two, and uh, it, it was stupid cheap. So um, I was the only one that ordered, so they just brought me all the bones. So I got uh, like five bags of rib bones, a couple bags of... Uh, Which uh, ones you like the best, the knuckles or the ribs? or The knuckles, he seems to go through really fast. And I think it seems to upset his stomach a little bit because he doesn't have an off button, right? He can't go have a little piece and then walk away. So yeah. they're, you know, they're probably good, good three quarters of a pound or a pound. And he just eats the eats things. the whole thing. Whole thing. <laughs> He's a pretty good dog. <laughs> yeah, he can, he can gnaw through those pretty darn good. good. The um, he's we've got a couple of big leg bones uh, with the marrow still inside. Yeah. Those will last him forever. Like there's still some floating around out in the yard, and you know after about a day or two, I'll go through and I'll take a butter knife and I'll scrape all the marrow out, put it on the outside, and let them uh, dig away at that again. Um, the rib bones I find pretty good. You know they're whatever eight or ten inches long and a little thicker than my thumb, and uh, he'll get uh, a day out of those, and they don't seem to upset his stomach. I never thought about that. I haven't brought any rib bones home, but maybe I should bring a few home. Yeah, he eats them completely. Yep. So, like, uh, I take them away when they're about an inch and a half left of it because yep. I'm just afraid he's going to choke on that. But he literally eat that whole thing. Takes him a day to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'll do is I'll do, uh, he gets a pound of food a day, um, of the, the chicken, yeah. you know, whatever it is, 60, 30, 10 split. Um, and then maybe once a week I'll give him a bone. Or if I've been doing a lot of running or hiking with them, then he'll get two or three bones that week just to kind of make up yeah. the, the difference in energy. Yeah. But he's near perfect weight, um, never runs out of energy. And he never has a bad day. Like he's never, this is probably the most wound up he's been. And it's yeah. just, there's a stranger in the house and I forgot to close the front door. I'm no stranger than most. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> just strange to him. Um, so yeah, like the, the bones he does really, really good on. Uh, I used to get my dogs, uh, oh, what are those things called? Uh, rawhide. Oh yeah. Um, every time. Devour them. Um, well, yeah, and they, I'm picking up puke. Like oh. they vomit them up everything. <laughs> So I'm like, no more smoking them. No, just give yeah. them pure raw. And he he does pretty fantastic on it. So I uh, I would like to try them on beef. I think I'm gonna have to give it a go. I'll get in uh, a little bit here and maybe start mixing it with the uh, with the chicken. Yeah, they're just little. I don't I don't even know if they're a pound packs that I got. They're just tiny little packs that. Yeah. Just for trying and. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, see, I, I mean, he's the beef bones all the time, so he's getting beef. Yeah. But uh, the chicken, he seems to love. Yeah. Well, I know this This is pretty nice stuff. I've seen guys grind it for hamburger rather than feed it to their dog, so. <laughs> it's, uh, did you say the, the dry ends of the prime rib? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty good stuff. <laughs> no, it is. It's real nice stuff that they got, so. Um, so you, let's go back a little bit to the history. So you've been, uh, got up to high school doing some, uh, rodeoing. Yeah. I, in, in high school I had, we kind of, up until that point we lived, uh, I moved up here in grade nine. So we lived like it was 16, 17 miles away. Okay. Keep in mind, that was a long time ago. And yeah. <laughs> roads were slower than they are now. Yeah. So uh, we had a rule that that we could only do one sport a year. So I'd pick a sport. And, yeah. And uh, 
and then we had 4-H and, and our junior Hereford cattle. So um, about when I was uh, gee, maybe grade one or two, they started a, a junior Hereford program in Alberta, and which spread uh, by the time I was in like grade uh, maybe 10 or or so it, it went national so wow. and it started them for all over the world so these guys were they had quite a quite a sight set on what they were doing and so that was that was an incredible thing and and it's branched out to to be in like 4-h on steroids the competition is just amazing and so what is this that you guys you, you know you get a um a cow to raise and compete with so so 4-h um yeah it's there's 4-h is an amazing thing because it it could be computers or could be mechanics or photography or um, like cattle or horses or sheep or pigs or and it, you just pick your project and and then you dedicate yourself to it and and within that you learn uh, record keeping and communications and like you'll do presentation and, and presentation yeah. and all those things that that are life building right yeah and. Uh, so that's we we were in that, and then we were in the the junior Hereford thing. So the junior Hereford thing, you had to own your own cattle there. You couldn't yeah. borrow them, or so uh, you'd have uh, some achievement days where you'd go around and you'd competitively judge cattle and and just keep going that kind of thing. By the time we got to where I was in high school, and it turned national, then you started to get pretty stiff competition because you'd get cattle here in Alberta on the first one, all the way from Quebec and the Maritimes and BC. and They would come in from that far to compete. Yep. Oh, wow. And so it was a, it was a pretty big deal and, and, uh, it's for 21 and under. Yeah. And then as it, as it went along, uh, my kids were competing in it and I don't know, I sent my youngest on a cattle liner with a guy when he was 12 out to Manitoba to compete. Yeah. And, uh, he did well out there, but they, uh, they put in marketing and public speaking and artwork and poems and and if you could imagine some kind of a competition, they would have it and you would have jeez uh, oh maybe 150 kids from all over Canada and the United States come to this thing and uh, while they were there, the parents are not allowed to do anything but unload the cattle. Oh, wow. And from then on, it's your mentors, your peers that are Helping 21, you, help the you. 10-year-olds or the 8-year-olds. and, and uh, cool. Yeah, and it's just, it's a friendship building. What a great way to build a community. Exactly. Like, to, to build leaders, to build yep. people that, uh, you know, I, I say this all the time, that not enough old guys hang out with the young guys and yep. not enough young guys have enough respect for the old guys to hang out with them, right? Yeah. That uh, we've lost that somewhere and, and how beneficial it is to, you know, have a 21-year-old just kind of tone himself down a little bit so he could communicate well with an 8 or yeah, a 10 Yeah, well, they help boy. them. They, that's what, uh, I think my daughter, she's my oldest, she was about 8 or 7. We went all the way out to Verdon, Manitoba with one animal. Yeah. And it's a uh, long drive. Yeah, for one animal, <laughs> yeah. so we unloaded off the trailer, and I let it into the wash racks for her. And and this young fellow out of Saskatchewan came and said, "Mr. Hansen, can I help your daughter?" I said, "Absolutely." And we didn't touch it again because they, I mean, they weren't even from our province, and they yeah, just just bucked up, and jumped in, and yeah, helped beautiful. her wash it, and dry it. And, <laughs> 
clip it, fit it for the show. And if the kid, if the kid that's ten years old is late for class, that kid doesn't get in trouble. It's the one that was helping him get in trouble. Exactly. How come he didn't get moving fast enough? Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, it teaches it just teaches him responsibilities, like his dad, right? That's so, amazing. So that's what that's what we did growing up, and and uh, so then. He's Ron and I, we were 4-H leaders, and like I said, I volunteered for Stampede, and uh, I met Rhonda. Well, actually, Rhonda's brother, older brother, and I Rhonda's were friends. Rhonda's being your wife. Yeah. 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 And so we were friends. Boy, I, I think I met him. I think I met him. I knew who he was, but I became friends with him at Club Week through 4-H. Yeah. And I think I was 14 or something, and then I met Rhonda, his, his younger sister, and, and uh, boy, I think... I think it was about grade eleven or twelve. We started going out and yeah, no fights between you and the brother. I don't know. No, it's all good. No, actually, I was golfing with them last night. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're still best friends. Cool, cool. So yeah, no, that's and that's how we grew up. Been I'd, married for thirty-one years, I think. Coming you said. up, yeah, just yeah. about. Wow. Yeah, been with her a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, that that's a bit of a um, an anomaly nowadays too. People yeah. staying together and being married. Yeah, I asked my grandma and grandpa. Actually, they just lived down the block. Uh, they retired or didn't retire. They came off the farm in 1996 or something okay. and moved in just like six or seven, just across the parking lot. Okay, on the other side of the golf course. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, just the other side of the clubhouse. And, yeah. and I said to him, I said, I've never heard you guys fight. What's the deal? I said, we're just too damn tired to fight. <laughs> I <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, I uh, I didn't meet my wife until we were thirty, and uh, so did lots of dating before there. Tried to figure if I'd have got married when you got married, I'd have wrecked the whole thing <laughs> for sure. I guarantee you, I was way too retarded to have a wife before I was thirty years old. Some people grow up just way too uh, or way quicker than other people do for sure. Well, you know what? That was the thing that that uh, I had a lot of fun through these junior deals and everything, right? And yeah. And by the time I got married, I was just ready to get to work. I'd had about all the fun I could stand. And, <laughs> and uh, not saying that being married isn't fun. <laughs> but uh, it was time to get to work, right? And yeah. So, so, yeah, we just, we got to work and, and she worked hard and I worked hard. And, and it was a funny thing. We talk about this all the time that, you know, we were young and, and we had kids young. Yeah. Uh, like Caitlin's 30. So That's you know, your, your oldest. Young, your oldest, yeah. Yeah, so... Like uh, twelve months after we got married, she was born. Yeah, and and so that's maybe one of the coolest things because a lot of our friends that are our age, their kids are still in high school and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, we lost we lost uh, contact with a lot of our friends because we were just going full out, and and it was a lot easier to say, "Geez, no, I can't come, or I can't make it, or no, I can't go out tonight," or yeah. And so we lost lost connection with them, but. Now that uh, our kids are gone and and uh, or they're not in the house anymore, and yeah. we have more time, we've reconnected with all the kids we grew up with, or you know, all cool. the ones that we were really good friends with, and yeah, we have fun with them now. And so there was a time to put your head down and get to work. And yeah, of course. And now that I'm old, <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's yeah, maybe yeah. time to have fun again. I don't know. I uh, I I joke. I say we should make a website for this, and there probably is a website for it. But it's not what I'm thinking. That uh, when you get married and you have kids, and like you said, you you put your head down and you're just you know focused on being a good husband, being a good dad, getting the jobs done, all that kind of stuff. That you do lose contact with people, and then when you're trying to rebuild, it's like you're dating again, except you're dating couples. So it's yeah. me and my wife yeah. looking for another um, husband and wife that we can get along with, yeah. and it's a difficult go when you're uh, you know I'm. 45. Well, me and my wife are both 45 and you know our kids are at the age now where they're a bit more independent. They're they're 9 and no yeah. sorry, they're uh, 11 and four, 13 um that uh we can get out and do stuff, but now we got to look for those friends again. And yeah. we're in a town where we didn't really know that That's many right. people. Well, we're lucky cuz I mean, I I've lived in the same house uh since I was in grade 3. Well, that that was your your parents' farm where you guys are living <laughs> no. now. We moved the house from down in Simon's oh. Valley. So <laughs> oh, you picked it up. And so we literally, yeah, yeah, we picked it up, it up moved there. it. So, so That's crazy. Yeah. So I don't know what's that. Uh, I've lived in it. 55 years? Did you uh, say you're 58? No, no, I'm not that old, but thanks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be 54 this fall. Beautiful, yeah. But yeah, I, since grade three, I've lived in it. So I don't know what that makes me, but. Yeah. But I used to get homesick. Now I'm just sick of home. <laughs> you got to get out now, eh? <laughs> my, uh, my end goal is to find uh, a nice dirt floor shack in Belize in the jungle <laughs> next to a river or a lake, and that's where I want to retire. I don't need a big house. I don't need a big car. I just need something to get my feet dirty, and, uh, you know, maybe I'll pick fruit and, and grow a vegetable garden, but that's, that's what retirement's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's when I, I said to the wife, I said, when we build a new house, it's going to have one bedroom so the kids can't go home and stay. But in hindsight, I was probably wrong because we got the grandkids come over all the time and I need yeah. somewhere for them to stay. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You can't not have your grandkids <laughs> that's over. Right. Yeah. The uh, I just recently, my, my daughter has aspirations to be an actress and a model and stuff like that. So she has some local filmmakers she goes and do little parts for, and, and none of it's paid, but it's yeah, all really yeah. good experience. We were over uh, doing a film shoot at this guy's house. He's got like a 10-month-old baby. Um, and I've never been, like even when my kids were babies, I'm like, oh, you know what, when they're one, I'll be friends with them. But before that, my wife, it's she takes care of everything they really only want her and you know everything's been good and i see this baby and he's fussing a little bit he's oh could you hold it so we can finish the shoot it was so much fun being with a baby again <laughs> way more fun than when yeah, i had what, my what own babies missing, that's right yeah, yeah I, I guess uh i think when uh well for me anyways when uh my daughter was born it really drove the focus into me like i've got a human being i need to keep alive i want her to thrive i want her to have a good life and yeah. so you just start you know like you said head down get to work get to work that's yeah. that's uh, also only a few years to uh to get this things good and, and it my flies it's unbelievable how quick it goes. Wait for another 10 years. Yeah. Like, uh, she's she'll be 14 soon. And uh, I'm just kind of like, is there any boys around? Is it what This is the age when they start, you know, noticing. And you're like, well, let's see how this goes. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit stressful. But, like, literally it felt like yesterday <laughs> it was a, a baby in arms. And now she's at the point now where she's getting her hair done and going to dances. And, yeah. Uh, and it's good. She, they're, they're, she's a great kid. She she picks good friends and, and all that. So I'm not really worried about the boys at all. Yeah. Some boys at Dillhole, she'll want nothing to do with them at all. So um, at least that's what I hope. 
Yeah, well, that's what she's telling you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, are yours all married now? No, nope, I only got one married. Okay. Yeah. So the other one, he, he's, uh, he's had a couple of steady girls, but he's, I don't know, he's got one right now. We'll see how it goes. And the young one, he's so focused on, on the end game of his work. Yeah. That he, he's got lots of friends, but he just, he's driven. Yeah. So he, he didn't want a girl to get in the way of school. Yeah. And then he got his good job over there in the Netherlands. He's focused on that. He's focused and he travels, uh, Boy, he's all over the world for the company, and so yeah, it's a different generation now. Like yeah. I said, like I think we were a bit of an anomaly. Most of my friends from high school, their kids are like on the verge of getting married, or they have grandkids already. Yeah. Um, and mine aren't even close to being out of the house. Yeah. But uh, um, I think that's the the new fad. I think people are going to wait longer, get smarter, get their finances and business in order, and then they'll they'll start getting married. Yeah. Well, it's. You know, and and that's what I, that's what I find remarkable is our, our we have three children and and they are, I mean, so different each one. Yeah. And so it's always kind of a pleasure to watch how they grow or how they change and how how they're not the same. Yeah. And that's. Well, I got uh, I I jokingly said I got dupes when my daughter was born. She was like. The easiest baby you could imagine. And then even when she was about a year old, she's just a rule follower. If dad said don't do it, she just didn't do it. It was like, I'm the best parent ever. We should have another one right away. And then my son came, and he was the complete opposite. And I'm like, how do two people make two human beings to be so different from each other? Like nothing changed in our household, yet they're completely different personalities, and you have to relearn how to be a parent. It's called getting even. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think so. The, <laughs> we, uh, um, uh, I used to jokingly say that uh, God made my son cute, so I didn't beat him. <laughs> you make me so mad, but then you look at those big blue eyes, and you're like, ah, all right. <laughs> we, can, uh, we can get past this pretty easily. Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. No, these, uh, the, both my kids are really good. We're, we're really lucky that they're um, in this generation where I see a lot of less than desirable kids out there and yeah. uh mine seem to stand out in the crowd right now so i'm good. pretty happy and anytime i see parents doing a good job you have to say something to them because it's it's becoming uh um, something that people Rare. don't strive for yeah. to be great parents anymore yeah. and i guess the definition is what it is but uh yeah. yeah yeah no i think i think it's important uh Teach a kid responsibility and yeah. and teach him how to work and it doesn't have to doesn't have to be a huge job but he has to do something that that can be structured yeah so that when they go into the workplace they they know the value of of it yeah exactly so they appreciate it my uh, my wife used to manage grocery stores uh, Sobeys different departments in Sobeys and then became uh, an assistant manager at the store but she she get these. 15, 16 year old kids in the store and tell them to go sweep up and they wouldn't know how to use a broom. Yeah. We get 15, 16. I'm like, how do you get to that age and have never swept a floor before? And that's like a major fail. And yeah. I think people are more, more concerned of being friends with their kids than turning them into good adults. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I won't say too much. I know that, I know that, um, you know that the kindest thing that you can do is 
teach a kid to be respectful mm-hmm. and to give them give them the ability to carry on with life. Yeah. And if and if you have somebody that that doesn't know how to do anything, you're not being kind to your child. You no. just you need to you need to open the horizon. And it doesn't mean you have to teach them. Yeah, I mean, take them somebody else. Take them to a friend that has a talent or, or you know, has has a place that that can put a kid to work and yeah. and give them a skill. And they may not like it. I always said that. <laughs> I always said that kids should start working when they're about fourteen, thirteen years old. Yeah. So that they know what they don't want to do when they get older. Right. It's not about finding a job you like. I think the most successful thing is find a job you don't like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and find find out what you don't want to do. I right. in high school I went to work at the transportation building and the first one was uh in the parts department. Yeah. So I was I was grabbing parts, I was grabbing all sorts of things like from pickaxes to tires to files. Yeah. And load trucks up and they'd go out with them. I knew I didn't like that. Yeah. I went back to work for the transportation building next time when I was in the welding shop. I loved welding. Nice. I just loved it. Yeah. But I learned from that that I didn't want to work for the government because I almost failed because I didn't stop for my coffee breaks or my lunch one day. <laughs> yeah. Because know. at home, I don't stop for coffee breaks or yeah, lunch. Dad doesn't let you stop. Mom no. will bring you food when you're hungry. <laughs> well, when she's ready, <laughs> That's yeah. Right. yeah. exactly. So I had to get a job done in there. I was, I was building a project, yeah. and I had to go in for a whole day or else you couldn't get your hours in. So you had to do a couple of, of stat days at school. Yeah. So I go in to do this, and... And the bell rings and everybody cooks. Oh, you lazy buggers. And I'm just <laughs> welding away and going. And I had to bring my, my counselor in and plead for my my marks. And I said, well, was I not a good welder? Did I not do everything you said? Well, you know, you didn't. I said, well, what did I do wrong? Well, you didn't stop for coffee and you didn't stop for lunch. That's unbelievable. So then I just learned that that wasn't how I wanted to work. Right. So So I learned that from that experience, right? Yeah. And that's what I think work experience is all about. I, I agree. I think everyone should go work at a fast food joint for a couple of weeks or a coffee shop. And, yeah. you know, go go see what a tradesman does. You know, I, yeah. I manage a spray foam company right now. You know, go haul around a spray foam hose for a day and see how you yeah. feel at the end of it. Because it's not made for everybody. you got to yeah. be some kind of durable to do that job, yeah. right? My uh, my first trade was drywall. I hung board and taped and textured and sanded. And um, tell you the truth, I'd rather slip my wrists than do it again. <laughs> but I've got the skill sets. If yeah. I need to, I can get it done. Um, so yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly that we can't uh, um, just expect that at eighteen they're going to go to school for exactly what they want to do and then come out and love doing it. So you go back to what we were talking about the the agriculture community chipping in and helping out and volunteering one of the things that's pretty cool and and uh i've stated it to a lot of different government organizations that try to squash what we do you know try to put labor laws in that that'll apply to agriculture mm. that's a broad painted brush that, that's a big thing in alberta right now yeah it's a huge deal and uh <laughs> they're <laughs> they're telling they were trying to put in that that our kids couldn't work at home right well, our kids work at home from from day one. Like they yeah. they go out and and they do what they can do. And I think that's what makes egg kids, farm kids, you know, really special in the world. Yeah. Is that that they go and they do everything. I mean, you know, we're talking about go to work for a fast food. Well, you know, you might you might learn how to sell an animal. You might learn how to sell meat. You know, 
then the next day you're learning how to clean up the poop in the corral or the next day you're learning how to feed them and and by the time the kids are 14 years old they've drove the machinery and they're well-rounded and they can they've mm-hmm. talked to lots of people and they have a a skill set that that's hard to beat and we're fortunate that we have the ability to allow our children to do that yeah it kind of gives them a leg up on a lot of other kids that just don't have that opportunity. Yeah, and 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 I don't think it's that hard to stand out in today's community, but they will definitely stand out if they've had that background. And I don't think you got to make the rule for the one percent. Yeah, there's been some unfortunate accidents in family. By and no means am I saying that the the parents were negligent or anything. Oh, I, no. I, I don't know. You know, it, stuff happens. It, it happens at schools. It yeah. happens in grocery stores. It uh, accidents happen everywhere. Honestly, sometimes you're lucky if it doesn't. Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's a dangerous world that we work in, and and I think. I think that if somebody spent a year in doing what we're doing, I think that they would figure we're doing an awful good job of being safe. Yeah, exactly. Even for all the bad things that happen, we're doing a fantastic job. Well, I think some of the government enforced safety is actually more hazardous. I remember, uh, so my first trade was drywall, hanging board all the time. It was running shoes, shorts, put my big uh, tool belt on, my screw guns, my nails, all that kind of stuff. And I'd hang board for years and no injuries, no busted toes, no busted fingers, nothing was going on. And then all of a sudden, uh, WC um, hammered down, everyone's got to wear steel toe boots. Well, we do everything off of sawhorses, and those steel toe boots have the big shanks yep. on the bottom. I fell off of sawhorses more on my steel toe boots than I ever did. Because you couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel the yeah. edges, like tripped on ladders, tripped coming upstairs. You know, your legs are more tired at the end of the day wearing those boots yep. all day long, and everyone's just like, slow down, like, I'm piecework. There's only so much slowdown I can do because it's 2,000 board feet per day per yeah. man on the site or you don't pay your mortgage. Like yeah. it's it's a it's a hard go to get up that much yeah. board. And, uh, you know, they do everything they can trying to slow you down and not make a, um, a living. And I know some of it is very valuable, you know. Sure it is. I think I think you got to be really safe. I mean, yeah. we, we have had some tremendous wrecks that we haven't had videos of on that we should have. We'd have made more money with our videos. Than, <laughs> Go viral. Yeah, like I, I don't know how many times my dad's broke his legs, or I mean, I've lost the end of a finger, and yeah. it happens because you're dealing with live animals and yeah. and moving parts and all those things, right? Yeah. But it's not because we weren't careful, right? It's just because these things happen when you're when you're. I I had a hold of a rope on a on a twenty two hundred pound bull and he jerked it back and it caught it on a steel pipe, Oof. cut the finger off. Yeah, I mean, it happens. It's it wasn't because I wasn't careful. Yeah, I had somebody on the other end of the rope. I said if he pulls back, let go, and the rope just jammed. Yeah, it just it just happens. It just right? happens. Yeah, we we think it out as good as we can at the time, <laughs> right? Exactly. But, but it happens and. And that's the nature of it. But Well, the truth of the matter is the more you're around something, the more you understand it, right? I yep. watch uh, lots of videos of hunters and stuff out in the woods, and uh, a bear will be four feet from them. But they know exactly how that bear moves and what he's thinking, and they can just calmly let that bear walk past. Yep. You know, I, I imagine someone like me coming onto your farm and having to move cattle, I'm going to add more problems than than solutions because I've not been around it since I'm five years old or yep. six years old, right? That's true, yeah. 
You, you, I don't think these government organizations realize that how much knowledge you get by just being around it all the time. You tell those kids, oh, they can't be on the farm anymore. They can't be in a tractor. They can't be on a combine. They can't be around uh, cattle or pig. Well, when they do, the accidents are more likely to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, I mean, it's just like nature to them, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. They just get uh, a knowledge of them. You know what? We're we're nearly two hours in. It's about a length Perfect. of our podcast. I uh, I really appreciate you coming out and sharing with us. Um, how can people get your local ranch uh, products? So uh, you can come right out to the farm. We're on uh, just up Range Road thirteen, uh, Veterans Boulevard to Range Road thirteen, and uh, go to the sign on two seventy four. Go left. You'll see another sign that says your local ranch right at our gateway. We are about 50, no, we're about 400, about 400 meters from the Airdrie city limits on, yep. on, uh, Township Road 274. Perfect. So, or you can go online, uh, look up yourlocalranch.com and you will find our online store and you can read about us, look at our products and see what you like. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can place your order on there, pay for it online and then you just drive up the ranch, pick it up and you're, you're good to go. Yep. Yeah, if you if you uh, order something online, give us uh, if it's a roast or something. Let us know how big a roast you want. We'll find his roast that comes as close as we can to it. We'll fill your order. We will send you an email that tells you what you owe. You can come right out and you can come for a visit on the farm. Or you can be gone in three minutes. So, Beautiful. Yeah, whatever you like. So www.yourlocalranch.com. Uh, That's right. And you're on Facebook at Your Local Ranch. And uh, I highly suggest everyone go out, check out the ranch, talk to Wayne, talk to his family, see what they've got going on out there. Definitely pick up some ribeyes because they are phenomenal. It's my <laughs> favorite thing out there. And uh, thanks so much for the uh, the jerky and the um, pepperoni that you brought out today where uh, I know me and Eric will be looking forward to getting right. into that a little bit later. Yeah, anybody can come out and uh, when the store is open. We're open uh, Thursday 10 to 6, Friday 10 to 5, Saturday 10 to 5. Uh, we might be going to open a little more often than that. We'll just have to see how our time allows. But uh, cool, cool. if we're open, come on out, and I'll show you around. Or Rhonda will one of our one of one of the family will show you around, and you Beautiful. can see exactly what we do there. Awesome. This is uh, I want to know with uh, Chad. Sorry we didn't have Mark today, but we have uh, Wayne Hansen here. So uh, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Chad. And we are out. That's not the out